If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, turn quickly to John chapter 19. This is going to be the second part in our series entitled Cross Talks. Cross Talks. Talks that we get from Jesus' time on the cross. And in John 19, starting at verse 25, it reads, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. We ask that you would not only give us a word to run on, but give us a word of comfort and a word of encouragement and a a word that, that is not filled with flesh and blood, but a word that comes from you that we might see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, we might believe on him. And in believing on Jesus, we might be saved. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen? Amen. Amen. In Amen. Cross Talk, Part 2. How Jesus' death on the cross helps me today. And my, my, my goal for today is to give you uh, ammunition or to give you things that you can talk about with family members and friends and co-workers about how Jesus Christ's death on the cross makes a difference in your own life. Uh, talking points, cross talks. And, and, and as I begin, I just want to create a framework and a foundation for the good news. Jesus' death on the cross was a horrible death. Crucifixion was the worst uh, type of suffering and the worst type of execution. But His suffering provided good news for me. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but should have eternal life. And the Gospel gives me an idea of what Jesus accomplished and how He accomplished it on the cross. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse Himself for us. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that he might become, we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible says, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became the wisdom of God for us. 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The Bible says that the practical applications of that, that gospel in my own life are Romans 8.28. For this we know that, that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who've been a called according to His purpose. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. The Bible says that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so when you're talking with that family member or you're talking with that friend or you're talking with that co-worker, they might be quick to say, well, you, you, you give all those, those lofty Bible verses about what Jesus Christ accomplished for you in the spiritual realm. But it sounds to me like you're only talking about a pie in the sky. It sounds to me that you are so heavenly-minded, that you're no earthly good. It sounds to me like you're talking about uh, what we ought to believe in our heads, but it doesn't make much of a difference in your life. Well, you can quickly shift the conversation and say, Oh, no. The gospel has something to say about every aspect of my life. The gospel, because of what the Bible says, tells me about communication. The Bible tells me about culture and conflict. The Bible tells me about education and law and justice. The Bible gives me insight into leadership and vision. The Bible gives me an idea of how my marriage ought to go and how I ought to lead my family. The Bible tells me about money and finances. The Bible tells me about raising children. The Bible tells me about relationships and work and career and vocation. The Bible tells me about the practical details of my life. Because the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. He grew in, in stature. He grew physically. He grew in, in, in favor with God. He grew spiritually. And he grew in favor with man. He grew socially. And men and women, one of the most practical things that we can talk with our family and friends and co-workers about is death. One of the things that my friend said as I called him was, Mike Jones... I wasn't ready for this. And men and women, I believe that this passage of Scripture in John 19 gives us practical insight into what God deems important. What God deems important about our death because many of us, as I have myself, have experienced death over these last two or three years. Many of us have become like Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Many of us have had people close to us go on to glory. And I don't care how long you've been in church, you may be, have to say, as my friend says, I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready for my loved one leaving. And it puts into context 
everything that I've learned in church, in His Word, in the Bible, in Sunday school, in Bible study, now I've got to put it to practice. And many women, we, we, we as the people of God, more than anybody else, need to be able to guide our family and our friends and our co-workers in times of grief. For many of us, that might be our most powerful ministry. For many of us, people will listen when we talk about our own testimonies and our own uh, stories of walking through this. And men and women, one of the most powerful things that you can tell them about Jesus is start making deposits in your spiritual life now so that when this happens, not if this happens, you will have something to draw. You will have been making deposits into your spiritual account so that when that happens, you will have resources to draw out. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. Because it is very difficult to pour a foundation in the middle of a storm. Men and women, for many of us, we have experienced that death. And we're, we say, I wasn't ready for this. But God is concerned about three things. God is concerned about when we die. God is concerned about how we die. God is concerned about preparing for our death. The cross makes a difference. God's perspective on dying gives us insight into living. And men and women, this passage is so powerful. The passage is so powerful and so outstanding and so wonderful that the passage is much greater than I can preach it. And so please pay attention and listen to the Spirit as you listen to the Word of God. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Three things. Point number one is simply this. God is concerned about when you leave. He's concerned about when you leave. Look at the text. The text says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus. Jesus knew when he was going to leave. Jesus knew about the cross. Jesus often talked to his disciples about the cross. Jesus knew when he would die as he traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. He knew that the time had come. Men and women, we are very different than Jesus. We don't know. Now, the Lord may give us hints. We may, uh, our health may go down and we may see signs, but make no mistake. We don't know when we will die. A number of weeks ago, Reverend Ron preached on this about us preparing for death, us making sure that, 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 that we are ready. We don't know when we'll die, but sometimes God gives us a hint. We don't know when, but make no mistake, God does. I want to share with you three passages of Scripture that kind of instruct me on this that I can have confidence that although I don't know, that because of the sovereignty of God and because he is in control of life events, he knows. And if he knows, it's all right with me. And if he knows, I can't change it. And if he knows, then I can rest. Let the church say amen. The first passage is in Job Job chapter 14. 
uh, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. Verse 1 says, man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Verse 2, he comes forth like a flower and fades away. Our life is very short in the grand scheme of things. Verse 5, since his days are determined. God has determined our days. The number of his months is with you, God. You have appointed his limits. God knows how long we will live. God knows when the end of our days, Carmen, will come. Not only Job 14, but Psalm 37, 18 says, The Lord knows the days of the upright. He knows our days. He knows the days of the upright. Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes the judgment. What I'd like to get you, bring your attention to is, the scripture says, For it is appointed once for a man to die. It is in God's appointment book when you will pass from this life to the next. It is an appointment that you will keep. And I will keep no matter what. Many of us are not ready and we're taken by surprise because on this side, it comes as a surprise. And we're not ready for this. God had the number of days that my mother would live in his book. I couldn't change it. I couldn't adjust it no matter how long or how hard I tried. God had given the number of days that my daddy would live. And many of you have heard the story. When my brother and I went to that hospital in San Francisco and the doctor said that, well, well, he is living on this ventilator and once we take him off the ventilator, he'll no longer live. And I asked the doctor, well, how long after you take him off? Is there a number of minutes? Is it hours? How long will it? Oh, it'll happen real fast. And so I said, brother, come on, let's talk to your family and and get them ready, and then, and then let them go in and tell Daddy everything they need to tell Daddy before he goes. And they all went in, and I said, do you want to go in? I know I want to go in when they take him off. And my brother said, I'll go in if, if you go in, and, and we could be together. So they took Daddy off that ventilator, and we were fully expecting him to expire. And all of a sudden, he takes this deep breath and then starts snoring. Sound asleep. And they said, well, we're going to need to move him from ICU and put him in a regular room. But make no mistake, boys, he's gone. And, and the most humane thing to do is to take him off the feeding tube and to let him go gracefully. God has a way of doing that. He won't experience any pain. And so against our better judgment, we did that, Fred. And we're waiting in the room, and my brother, who was very, very skittish about death and dying, he said, Mike, I don't know if I can stay in here. I said, why? He says, every time I move, Dad's eyes are following me. <laughs> I said, no, they aren't. They said, yes, they are. And I moved, and Dad's eyes were following me. So we called the doctor in, and we told the doctor what Daddy was doing, and the doctor said, Mr. Jones, can you hear me? And Dad didn't do anything. He says, Mr. Jones, if you can hear me, raise your arm. Dad went, <laughs> just like that. And then he said, quick, get the nurse. Tell him to put the feeding tube back. Daddy lived another 11 months after being proclaimed dead. We don't know when, but God does. 
God does, and we can't change it. That is an appointment that we will keep. Stop trying to hold on. Stop trying to, 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 to be, don't be all anxious and fearful. God is sovereign. He knows when. Jesus knew when he would. We don't. We put our hands and put our lives in his hands, and we'll be all right. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. So God is concerned about when we leave. He has numbered our days. He has appointed our time. But number two, God is concerned about how we leave. He's not only concerned about when we leave, but he's concerned about how we leave. Look at verse 25 again. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And the scripture goes on to say, and the disciple whom he loved. There were five people his loved ones who were surrounding the, the, the cross. There were people who were there surrounding the cross. Before I move on and give you the practical points, I want to talk a little bit about Mary. It is prophesied to Mary that a, 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 her heart would be pierced. She was the one who heard from the angel that she would give birth to the Christ child. She was the one whom the angel talked about. Uh, about uh, the Christ child coming. She was the one when she took him to the temple to be circumcised that, 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 that this man in the temple took him up to bless him and then he prophesied to Mary that, that, that her heart is going to be broken because of this boy. She was the one who had to explain to people that Joseph wasn't the daddy. She was the one who had to stand strong. She was the one that gave birth to him and, and had to nurse him and, and had to, to take care of him as a toddler. She was the one to watch him grow. She was the one to, to, to follow him and to guide him during his teenage years. She was the one who saw him become a carpenter. She was the one who beheld him when he started his earthly ministry and gathered those 12 disciples. She was the one who witnessed many of his miracles and heard about how his fame would grow. She was the one who was probably reminded of what God told her this boy would become and who he was. She was the one who stood outside when he preached, and, and then afterwards he would come out and say, well, who are my mother and brothers, those who hear the word of God and do it? She was the one who stood by him when many of his brothers and sisters misunderstood. She was the one who stood at the cross watching that boy die a sinner's death. Men and women, I think there are practical applications for each one of these individuals, Mary's sister being there, because she not only stood by Mary, but she stood by Jesus Mary Magdalene being there because Jesus healed her. Mary, the wife of Clopas, because obviously Jesus did a work in her life. John, who was the beloved disciple and said, because he loved me, I don't care. I'm going to stand by the cross. Here's the practical implication to that. Jesus left here on his own terms. Although all of these loved ones would rather him not die on a cross, he died on the cross. He, he, he died on the cross. He lived his life the way he wanted to live it. And he ended up dying the way he wanted to die. How does that make sense to us? You've got a loved one. 
And, 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 and just like with my dad, we, we went by what we felt like was the right thing to do. We didn't immediately make those decisions. We labored, but we knew what our daddy had told us. Hey, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. We knew that, 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 that when it came time that he was tired. We knew that, 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 that he missed my mama very, very much. She had been gone since 1988, and it was 2005. Listen, allow your loved ones to go on their own terms. I know it's hard, and I know you're not going to say amen, but it's good word. The other thing is, he was surrounded, he left surrounded by those who loved him. If you have someone who is in that condition, you need to get there. If you are in that condition, don't let Satan fool you in wanting, for you wanting to be all by yourself. That is the perfect time for you to call in people that love you and whom you love. You need to be surrounded by people. There was a day and time back uh, uh, when, when, when my grandparents were around where they wouldn't go to the hospital, but all the family would come to the family house because they needed to be surrounded by love. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. amen. The other thing is Jesus left talking to those whom he loved. Here in this passage, he talks to his mother and he talks to John and he gives them instructions he talks from the cross. You, the words that you speak then are the most important words that you will speak. And he, he, he confirmed and he confessed their love for him, uh, uh, their love, his love for them and their love for him because they showed up. That is the time that you talk if you're able to. The last thing he left them was a legacy of love. They showed up because of love. Look at these passages. And, 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 and I know you already know them, but look at them in the context of this scene. John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The backdrop of that command is, Hey, mother, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. A new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another the way I love you. I'm putting you in each other's care because I know you'll love each other the way I have loved you. Not only that, but Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another, uh, loves another, has fulfilled the law. Men and women, the most uh, uh, drama-filled funerals I've ever been to are funerals where there was no love. And whatever is inside of you, when you're squeezed with this situation of death, whatever is inside of you is going to come out. So if you've been harboring uh, animosity or hatred and, and you've been harboring guilt and you've been harboring anger, when you get squeezed, it's going to come out. And that's why people fight at funerals. That's why people fight when, the, when mama is gone and daddy is gone and, and brother is gone and, and, and uncle is gone because you've been harboring all of that and there has been no love. And because there is no love, when you get squeezed, that's what comes out. That's what comes out. Not only that, but 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 
It is a legacy of love. And men and women, when a person dies, you're entering into spiritual warfare. Listen to me now. I remember when a loved one of mine died and, and I talked to that person's children and I said, hey, uh, they said, well, what, what advice can you give us? I said, you need to stay with one another and stick to one another and be in good relationship with one another because you will be attacked. They laughed at me and said, uh, we, we got a good relationship. It wasn't three weeks before I got a phone call about how they didn't want to speak to one another and wondered whether or not they would ever speak to one another. And here's what they said. I remember when you told us stick together, but I thought you just meant during the, the funeral process and making arrangements. I didn't know you meant after as well. Whatever's inside you is going to come out. God's concerned about when you leave. We don't know, but he does. God is concerned about how you leave, leave a legacy of love, surrounded by people who love you, talking to them, leave on your own terms. You fight the good fight. You take every minute, every second that God has given you. It is a blessing. It, it, it is a gift from God. And let him, because he is sovereign, do his thing. But you love till the end. And that's what he's called us to do. And finally... Not only are, is he concerned about when we leave and how we leave, but God is concerned about what you leave. He's concerned about what you leave. Look at the text. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was early in ministry. Reginald, I was on program for a funeral. I wasn't the one doing the eulogy, but I did scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, and I did prayer. I knew this family. It was a glorious homegoing service. And then when the pastor finished his eulogy and he called up the funeral directors, the funeral directors called those uh, who would be flower bearers to come and pall bearers to come. And then he stayed right in the middle right underneath the pulpit, and he said, we will not be having an interment. The family has some things that they need to take care of before we can do it. We'll notify you of a later date. Now, you all know what that means, right? You know what they're saying, right? You know what has happened or what has not happened, right? There were no resources to put this brother in the ground. There was no planning. There was no preparation. There was no foresight. There was no looking into the future and saying, I know that, that is, it is appointed for a man wants to die. And then comes the judgment. We will die. We have got to prepare. And that was the first time I've experienced it. But over and over and over and over, I have seen it when young people who have, have passed away, who never thought they would pass away at the age in which they passed away, they didn't plan, they didn't make preparation, and the family suffers twice. They suffer because that loved one is gone, and then they suffer because they don't know what they're going to do. To put them away. 
Jesus had made preparation. I've got a mother who loved me, and I've got a beloved disciple who loved me. I'm going to put each one in each other's care, and they're going to be taken care of. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. So make no mistake, I'm going to be buried. Because it's not only what I own, but it's in the Father's plan. But men and women, we don't have that luxury. Men and women, let me demystify one of the things that happens when we don't do the right thing. When you don't have the resources, many of our families feel bad, and you could be talking to someone who is in this situation where they say, well, I couldn't bury him, and I feel so bad. We had to resort to cremation. Men and women, don't you, don't you feel, make them, allow those folks to feel bad. Cremation is fine, and we need to remove the stigma. Because you were cremated and it, and it was done by fire, doesn't mean you're going to hell. Black folks so doggone superstitious. And, and y'all laughing because you know. People are terrified. No. I remember counseling with, with, with a sweet mother of the church. Her husband had just died. Loved this family. And I, I sat and I knew what I, I was going into during the counseling session. And I knew that I had to talk about cremation. So I had all of these, these, these talk points about how it's all right, Rev. Talked for about 30 minutes. And she looked just, just as, as, as still, as, as downcast as, as, as she was when I first got there. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came over me and said, if you just give her my word, she'll be just fine. So the Lord took me to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, from dust I formed you, and dust you will return. And I said, sweet mother, all we're doing in cremation is speeding up the process. We're going to be dust regardless. She said, that's it. I'm good. I'm fine. Pastor, thank you so much. I wish you'd have said that when you first started. Dust I formed you, and dust you shall return. But men and women, that does not alleviate the responsibility that we have to prepare. If you're taking notes, or you may want to refer back to this message, I want to give you a couple of things that we need to make sure that we do. Number one. Uh, option is a durable power of attorney. That means when you get so sick and you can't handle your own business, you give an individual that loves you and you love them and you trust them to have power of attorney, a durable power of attorney that says, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing this person to handle my business. That's what Jesus did with John. John said, he says to John, I want you to take care of my mama. You got the power of attorney over her. You take, and, and mama, I want you to take care of John. He's allowing them to take care of his business. Many of us need to have a will or a living will. Let the church say amen. Y'all ain't mad because I'm teaching, are you? you? You're just so quiet. Say amen, lights. You need a will or a living will. And then you need to make it very, very clear for your family about the DNR. If you say, well, I'm ready to go, then you give them the power for the, for the medical folks to do not resuscitate. And so we don't need to be flipping a coin, and we need, don't need to, to, if my daddy had that, my brother and I would have said, well, he's given the directive. 
and, and it would have saved us a lot of trouble. Let the church say amen. The other thing is, uh, we need to make sure that there are physicians' orders for life-sustaining treatment. If you don't want to do not resuscitate, then you sign a paper that says, we want you to do everything. Everything that you can do. And if we're living by, by the, the ventilator, that's just how we're going to live. But you make that decision ahead of time. And the last thing is, if you want to be a, an organ donor, probably one of the most moving activities of service I have ever done. It's been a number of years ago at UAB when there was a big park area over there. They had this huge celebration for those who have received uh, organs from organ donors so that those who received the honor, uh, organs could meet the families of those who, who gave them. And you talk about a moving experience. All I was doing was serving lunch and to see the hugs and the kisses and the, I mean, black people, white people, Asian people, Latino people meeting one another, celebrating and honoring those who have given their organs so that others may live. Men and women, you may say, well, what does that have to do with the cross? Well, I'm telling you about a Savior who gave his life so you can live. I'm talking about a Savior who shed his blood so that our blood can be cleansed. I'm talking about a Savior who died on the cross, who made preparation for us. Look at these verses about doing things like that. The first one is Proverbs 22.3. It says, a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Well, what does that mean? That means if you're a prudent man, you see evil from afar off. You see death from afar off and you make preparation. You want to hide yourself from the evil and make sure that you and your family are prepared for it. And it, it may sound like the same verse, but look at Proverbs 27, 12. The prudent see danger and take refuge. You see it coming off. I know that I'm going to die. And men and women, let me just give you a personal testimony of this. I am uninsurable now because of my heart condition and because of my diabetes and because of all of that. I can't have life insurance, but I've made preparation. I've made preparation. There are resources to take care of me if something happens. I got some folks standing at the cross. Only a few got that. It says they see danger and take refuge. First Timothy 5, 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel men and women we got to take care of 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 ourselves life insurance is an issue burial arrangements are an issue being concerned about the future being concerned about the next generation being concerned about our children and i'll close with this i don't have houses and land to leave my children I don't have huge bank accounts to pass on. I don't have a, a whole lot. But the most important thing that I do have is a legacy of love and a legacy that points them to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
A legacy that says that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ is the one who loves you and will take care of you. Jesus Christ is the one in whom we live and move and have our very being. Jesus Christ is the one who paid the penalty for your sins. Jesus Christ is the one who will give you new life. Jesus is the one who I'm leaving for you as a legacy. Jesus is the one who I am, am, am giving as an inheritance to you. And men and women, the most important thing that you leave is a love for Jesus Christ that you can pass on. Men and women, God is concerned about when you leave. God is concerned about how you leave. And God is concerned about what you leave. And we ought to leave our families with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for your way. Father, help us to have cross-talks with those around us, practical ones, that would give practical advice that would ultimately lead them to you. Father, if we are scared about death today, help us to know that our life is in your hands, that you have numbered our days. We can't do anything about it. Father, if, if we're worried about how we're going to die, focus our attention on how we live. Father, I just love the people that you've placed in my life. I love them. I love them, and I hope that they know I love them. But Father, more than that, I pray that I would leave them with you love them. You love them so much that you died on a cross. You love them so much that you shed your blood for them. You love them so much that you rose from the dead on the third day. And you love them so much that you want to live inside of them and for them to place their faith in you. Father, I bid them Jesus today. And it's in your name we pray. Let the church say amen, amen, and amen. Won't you stand? I know this was a message about death, but won't you stand in joy? Because Jesus has overcome death. Jesus has victory over death. And Jesus has put death to death. Men and women, we've got something to share, don't we? we got something to share. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless with exceeding great joy. To the one great and wise God, our Heavenly Father, be glory, dominion, and power henceforth now and forevermore. And all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Love one another this week and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you've been blessed. For more information about our church, we invite you to either visit our website at harvestcpc.com or call us at 205-853-5033. Until next time, be blessed.